scripture reading tonight from Psalm 40. I want to look at the first four verses of Psalm 40. So if you find that, I ask you to stand in our God's honor. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the sliming pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Let's pray. Father, we need you when we find ourselves in the pit, Father. When we find ourselves in a situation we can't fix. A place where it's easy to be afraid and to feel defeated. Thank you that you are there too. And pray tonight as we take a time, Father, to think about our land and to think about the pits, Lord. Um, help us know that you are there. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, in other words, face it, sooner or later, or maybe now, we're going to find ourselves in the pit. Matter of fact, I these couple of verses, I kind of entitled this message not a psalm about pits, about being in the pit. And he starts out here in verse 2. He says, He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He doesn't tell us exactly what the pit was. We all know what it's like to be in one type of pit or another. You know, I, I don't have to start going through a list of naming different kinds of pits. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I have a saying that I, I say with storms, but I think it applies to pits as well. Either you're in a pit, <laughs> you're about to find yourself in a pit, or you're trying to get out of the pit. But one way or another, you're familiar with pits. And when I talk about pits and pit stops, I'm not talking about NASCAR. I'm talking about the place you don't want to stay, place you don't want to be at. And just a couple of observations in these texts about dealing with a pit, being in the pit. Um, first, don't look around for a quick exit till you've looked up to the Lord. Notice uh, what we'll... Uh, this is from Psalm 128, 1 and 2. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. We just need to be cautious. There's nothing wrong with looking around or looking within to find help. But that should come after we look up. Too often, I'm afraid, we look in and we look around and the last option is look up. And that should be the first option. Because the truth of the matter is, there are many times in the pit, the only way out is to get some help from God above. Um, look at verse 4. He tells us, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, 
to those who turn aside the false gods. You see, there's only one place to look to to get the way out of the pit, and that's to the Father through Jesus Christ. That, that's the way we come out of the pit. And the, the truth of the matter is, when we look around and we look within, but we don't look up, we miss the true way out. Uh, the way out involves waiting on the Lord. Look there in verse 1. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. The Hebrew literally means waiting. I waited. It's, it's not the kind of waiting where you're not doing anything, where it's inactivity and you're just, oh, hum, what to do now? It's a waiting with expectation that as you do everything you know to do, to be active, you believe God is at work. And, and God is going to intervene that God is going to help that he's going to be active um, he said he heard my cry I thought about cry and I thought about those times I was in a situation where you just I felt helpless I think you guys know what I'm talking about you, you get in a situation of desperation it's helpful sometimes when you think of the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, that says Jesus wept, that we have a God that knows what it's like to cry. And being in a place of desperation to cry is a place where you're not alone. It's a place where God is. I think of Psalm fifty one seventeen. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God actually listens to the one with a broken heart, which is a real comfort. And he is our source of hope. Uh, notice there in verse 3, it says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The, the source of hope is the Lord. When he brings us through the difficulty, when he allows us to come out of the pit. It's the Lord who gets the credit. And he gives us a song. It's the Lord who others look at and say, wow, that's really our goal, to reflect the Lord. Um, I, I say all this, I open this up and sharing words about pits and struggle and, you know, we're approaching uh, the birthday of our country. And I think of our land. And I'm grateful for people who have willingly sacrificed. Many gave their lives for our country. And, you know, I, I know in the news now there are a lot of things that certainly are, are not in line with Scripture. A lot of things that break our hearts. I was telling somebody just a minute ago, it breaks my heart that the gospel, the gospel, we're fighting over things and we're not, we're not hearing the gospel. We need revival. We need a heart. I, Psalm, Psalm 33, 12, I, I was thinking about this just a minute ago as I was sitting there, uh, it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. 
I realize that we come to the Lord one at a time. But, you know, a friend of mine uh, the other day, he sent me a text, and he was just real upset about our nation. And I said, well, I'm just praying for, for revival, renewal. Because otherwise, if we continue to just live as if God doesn't exist, how can he not help but bring his judgment on us? I read somewhere, some uh, speaker, preacher, I'm sure, he said God would have to apologize if he doesn't judge us because of where we're going. And, you know, my wife's been reading through the book of Ezekiel, and she was crying earlier, and she said, you know, you, you just read through Ezekiel, and People are in sackcloth and ashes and they're praying and, you know, it's like, God, your judgment's going to come. And then you, you think about where we are as a land. And I certainly don't want to spend a bunch of time just on that down note. I want to spend, like I said, some time here thinking about those who love our land and who gave their lives for us. Lately, I, my, my dad was in World War II. He actually uh, had the privilege of being under General Patton and marched into Germany. And I wish I would have heard more stories about that. He sure did love General Patton. But I heard a few stories. But I also have found out through the years, people who have been in combat, they don't want to talk about combat. I picture it being a pit. <laughs> a place you don't want to be. And I remember uh, my dad brought back a few things from Germany. It's actually a little bit creepy, some of the things from the battlefield he, he had brought home. And uh, it, as I was digging through some of that old stuff, though, I also found some letters. And there was a letter in there from his best friend who lives in McClellanville, South Carolina, outside of Charleston. And he said, uh, Fred was my dad's name, of course. He said, Fred... Uh, he said, they're talking about maybe having another war over there in Europe. He said, if they call us back, he said, you come down here and we'll hide in the swamps down here. Difficult, difficult place. And tonight I have a special thing, really I'm going to spend most of our time here, that I think will be a blessing. I had heard Memorial Day, if you ever listen to Focus on the Family, they had testimonies of World War II veterans who had served in combat and what's awesome about these testimonies that, that we're going to listen to is people said, I was in a situation where I need God. And they would say over and over again, God was with me. I know he's with me. And, and you'll hear that for yourself. And I think that's a blessing to hear because so often there's just not many places we hear, I need God. And I think it's a real encouragement. So um, with that being said, I am going to ask Rachel, this is audio, so we're going to listen to these testimonies. I got off at the recruiting station, and they put us together and put us in a bus and took us down to the Union Station, put us on a troop train. And I looked out the window, and right across on the next track to me was my father standing by his train. He was a conductor, and he had a train going out. So I asked the man in charge of my car, can I go over and say goodbye to my dad? And he said yes. 
So I did. I went across the tracks and said goodbye to Dad. And he had a tear in his eye, and so did I. But I had to run back and get on my train because they were ready to leave. And uh, I even wondered if I'd ever see him again, you know. That scene occurred thousands of times as young men bravely accepted their assignments, hugged their families one last time, and headed off to war. What they would face there would test the strongest of hearts. Soldiers, airmen, and sailors vividly recall the gruesome realities of the battle, and they quickly recognized that God's providence was the only thing they could rely on. Uh, probably the most, the clearest was on... Uh dropping the paratroopers on Corregidor. And uh, and I was the second ship that was dropping. And because our target area was so small, we dropped on the parade ground in the center of a quadrangle of destroyed buildings. So we had to come in very low and very slow, and we could only drop six paratroopers on a stick. And the first, the guy ahead of me got hit and was going down. And... Uh, he was saying, I'm going down, I'm going down. And I knew that I'd be over that in about 15 more seconds. Or, and I became so frightened that, that my mind clouded up. Uh, I couldn't think. The perspiration started running from under my armpits. And, uh, and my hands were trembling. And I just knew that I, possibility that in 15 seconds I'd be gone. And at that instant, all of my Christian background came up, and I just said, Lord, if, if I die, take me to be with you in heaven. And I'll never forget that instant after that. It felt like there was God's presence in the cockpit. And instantly, my perspiration stopped, my trembling stopped, my mind cleared up, and uh I, I lost every sense of fear that I had. And I have never in my whole life forgotten that feeling of warmth and comfort that I had in that second. We were one of the ships that was supposed to be on the ready duty with our steam power uh, in good shape. And no one could leave the ship except the captain went ashore and got stone dead drunk and uh, he came back in the whale boat I mean the crew took him back and we tied a rope around him hoisted him up and dropped him in his bunk then the, the uh, flashing light from shore sent word to us stand out to get ready to take a convoy the executive officer said I refuse to take the ship out under with the captain in, in that shape uh, I'm not going to take that responsibility. Uh, flashback of uh, my answer that we're having a little trouble with our steam uh, pressure. Uh, the ship next to us read all of the language going on on the flashing light. Well, that was the USS Underhill, and they took our place. And that night, the news came back that uh, the Underhill had taken a uh, torpedo and sunk and uh, lost half their men. So they they took our place as Jesus did. They, uh, they died for us. 
we were right by our foxhole. There was another man and I that were on duty at the shop in the middle of the night. And uh, we had I had my foxhole dug underneath a bunch of pipes. And uh, so I figured that if I got a bomb anywhere near me, it would knock the pipes down over my foxhole and it'd be uh, all protected. Uh, but anyway, I dove in there and then this bomber, dive bomber, uh, dropped the bombs and he had four bombs and the first two were down the island a little bit and then kept getting closer so the second one was not very far and the third one I knew was going to be right on top of us and just went thud and the fourth one went off down on the reef and it gone right across us and that one that was a dud landed right in our ammunition and dynamite dump which was right next door to us and if that had gone off, it would have just killed all of us in that area. There. And uh, I thank the Lord. In fact, I, I can plainly remember when I dove in that foxhole, the Lord saved me. And uh, it was just an instant. I knew it was the Lord watching over me all the time. But at those times, uh, there's nothing you can do yourself at all. It's all up to the Lord. As we came over a rise and a bend in the trail, there was a bunker, probably 10 to 12 feet down off the trail. And as the doctor and I and the communications officer and his corporal topped this rise, a screaming Jap came running out of that bunker with a grenade in each hand. And of course, his screaming attracted the attention of every Marine within 50 feet. And he was literally cut in half with automatic rifle fire. One of the grenades was in the process of throwing, landed not more than 10 feet from us. And the corporal, without hesitation, threw himself on that grenade, thereby saving the life of his officer, the doctor, myself. Of course, it was ripped open in the abdomen and the doctor turned to me and said, you go back to the beach and pick up two cases of our blood plasma and get back here. So I left my rifle there and I ran back this trail to the beach. And as I came out of the jungle, onto the edge of the beach, and I see little pops of sand pop up, about four of them just in front of my feet. And I'm saying, this is kind of far from the ocean for sand crabs. And just about that time, a little Australian coast watcher stepped out from behind a tree. And he said, stop right here. I saw where that sniper was. And he disappeared into that underbrush and jungle. And I'm peeking around that tree and I hear a pistol shot and then I see a rifle fall out of that tree. And then I went on and I grabbed, found my two cases of blood plasma and, and we took as best care of him as we could. And that night, about half hour before sunset, you have to make a place to bivouac for the night. And in our training, one of the things that was stressed, when you're on a jungle patrol of any kind and you have to dig in, make sure you're at least 20 feet 
off that trail. Well, we had been assigned a jeep driver, ambulance driver from the motor pool. And even though I cautioned him and re-cautioned him about digging his foxhole too close to that trail, he ignored me. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, an artillery shell landed. And it landed about 20 feet from where I was. So my foxhole partner and myself were tossed in the air, twisted like pretzels with this concussion, and then slammed back down into this foxhole. We couldn't do anything more until sunrise. Sunrise crawled out of our foxhole, and I crawled over to Tony Rells' foxhole, and the shell had landed at the head of his foxhole and just literally cut off the top half of his head. And it was at that point that I felt I was enclosed with a force that was protecting me. I could just feel it. And that force stayed with me almost the whole operation. And we were in the front lines of that operation for 60 straight days. But there were many times when it was very, very evident to me that I was being protected. It's a known fact that you you don't go through combat and not know nah about God. And many, many of us who already knew helped others find him or at least find their way to him. Probably more than anything else that we can encounter, the horror of war brings us to our knees. And while these men that we've heard from today so far made it home safely, it's estimated that over 500,000 U.S. and Canadian soldiers did not. I'm John Fuller, and this is a special Memorial Day Focus on the Family, today remembering specifically the sacrifices our World War II veterans made for our freedom. And after five years of war involving over 60 countries, the entire world breathed a sigh of relief. The first signs of victory began to emerge in France in 1944. Uh, Our outfit was asked to stop a German flank movement and were successful in doing so. And uh, shortly thereafter, we were able to motor up to Paris to be there for the liberation of Paris uh, and to go down that famous avenue called the Champs-Élysées and go into the Eiffel Tower as uh, newly minted heroes. This is Matthew Holton of the CBC speaking from Paris. Speaking from Paris, I am telling you today about the liberation of Paris, about our entry into the town yesterday, and I don't know how to do it. Though there was still fighting in the streets, Paris went absolutely mad. Paris and ourselves were in a delirium of happiness yesterday, and all last night, and today. Yesterday was the most glorious and splendid thing I've ever seen. Uh, People were jumping higher than they knew how to jump, and yelling louder than they knew how to yell. And every time the cavalcade would slow down or stop 
French girls would come running out and grab some GI and kiss the skin off of him. Trouble was, I was too tall and they couldn't reach me. Toward the end, we could see that uh, the Germans we were meeting and capturing and killing were very young and very old. We could see they were sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and we were hoping it was going to end soon, but we didn't know. <laughs> so we were just hoping we could last a little bit longer until it did end. From April 1st to 6th, a total of 189,611 German prisoners were marched into our prison pens here, and approximately another 25,000 were killed or wounded. No army can lose 200,000 men a week for very long. We fought our way across Germany and, and made uh, a right-hand turn and went south to Nuremberg and uh, were told to wait there and then sent south of Nuremberg to go over the hump into Linz, Austria when the word came that uh, it was a ceasefire. The National Broadcasting Company delays the start of all its programs to bring you a special bulletin. It was announced in San Francisco half an hour ago by a high American official not identified as saying that Germany has surrendered unconditionally to the Allies, no strings attached, and that the announcement is to be made formally by General Eisenhower. I'll repeat that the formal announcement has not yet been made, but the official says that Germany has surrendered unconditionally to America, Britain, and Russia. And we all screamed like idiots and had a great old time rejoicing over the fact we didn't have to fight anymore. A very great crowd is collected already. Thousands upon thousands of people gathered to share this historic day with the King and Queen. Today, we give thanks to Almighty God for a great deliverance. I ask you to join with me in that act of thanks giving. What I have to say is very simple and quite short. I would ask you all to remember those of our comrades who fell in the struggle. They gave their lives that others might have freedom, and no man can do more than that. And we who remain have seen the thing through to the end. We all have a feeling of great joy and thankfulness that we have been preserved to see this day. We must remember to give the praise and thankfulness where it is due. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. When I look back at, at my growing up in the Depression and, and my participation in World War II, you don't want to say it about war, but but I think, in a way, it was a, one of the great times of my life. Not because of the sacrificing so much as the unity of purpose, that we were all striving for one thing, and the country was united about one purpose, and you were side by side with, with your friends and your buddies, and you were willing to, to die to defend your country. That was just a tremendous feeling. And it was somehow that we could impart to them this feeling of commitment and loyalty. 
That's that's what I think this generation is missing, but I wish that they could look back on our generation and say they had something and I wish we could get it back. Hmm. That's just one of the dozen or so men that we interviewed a few years ago about their experiences during World War II. And in fact, uh, many of them have passed away since we originally aired their remarks. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and this has been a special radio program acknowledging Memorial Day and the sacrifice of so many. Uh, Think of the men and women who sacrificed back then, John, uh, that we might have the freedom that we enjoy today. Many were separated uh, from their loved ones for up to five to six years during that conflict. Uh, When they came home, they were different. We know today that PTSD exists, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, Many of them never did recover. Uh, Former NBC anchorman Tom Brokaw wrote a book about people who participated in World War II. Uh, It was titled The Greatest Generation. Mm -hmm. And it is true. They did something unique, Mm -hmm. uh, something that they were called to do to liberate this world from tyranny. Uh, World War II was horrible. As I said at the top of the show, uh, over 60 million people died. And I just pray that free people will not have to go through that kind of pain again. Uh, If you see a military family today or this week, or for that matter, anytime, uh, thank them for their sacrifice that they're making, not just the servicemen, uh, but their families as well. You know, John, one of the things I like to do if I'm standing in line for coffee, you could probably guess where that Mm -hmm. might be, but uh, oftentimes if there's a serviceman in line, I will offer to pay for his cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. That's the least I could do. You know, I think uh, I think one of the most memorable moments I had around military uh, men and women was at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. I was having lunch, and I heard applause, mm. and uh, it kept going. Uh, just, you know, people in the food court started applauding, and we looked, and up on uh, the second story was a walkway uh, with a glass wall so we could see who was on there. It was a bunch of military men and women getting off a plane, transferring, and as they went by, it was, uh, it felt like a couple of hundred of them, but as they walked by, we all stood and applauded, and it went on for four or five minutes. It was emotionally moving mm. to me as I thought about these dear people who had given so much and the families they represented. It was the least I could do was to stand up and say, thank you. Mm. It uh, it reminds me of a story. If you fly a lot, I think during the time of war, you do encounter servicemen. Uh, in our case, I was on a flight where a dead serviceman was being returned oh, to my. his family. And the pilot came on at the end of the flight and simply said, will you remain seated? to honor this man. And uh, I was surprised. Everybody did. Uh, Everybody sat very quietly while they opened that plane up and uh, pulled his body out. Mm. And uh, that's the kind of honor we need to share with these people. Mm. God got these guys out of a specific type of pit. He's the same God we can turn to wherever we are that we can trust in. And we do need to give thanks to those who are willing to sacrifice for us in our land. I have a word of prayer and then we've got some 
food and be able to share some time together. And specifically, as I pray, lift up Jim's sister. She um, is on her deathbed, and we just need to pray for the family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these soldiers that willingly fought, knowing there was a high risk to die, Lord. And many did die. And Father, it makes us think about the fact that there's another kind of war. It's a war where we were lost and we were damned. And you came and in the battle you died and paid the price for our sin. How can we say thank you for that, Lord? Our lives are to be a sacrifice in thanksgiving of such a great act of heroism. As we think of our great land, as we think of how we love our land, we also know, Lord, that to not honor you is to, Father, invite your rebuke, your judgment. We ask that you might awaken us as I listened um, at the end of those testimonies to our leaders, world leaders, say, we want to give thanks to God. We understand that God is the one who gave us hope and victory. And so, Father, I pray again that you would get a hold of our hearts as a people and that we would cry out to you, God, because you alone are our real hope. Everything else will crumble. So I pray for that. And Father, with that in mind, we lift up to you, Jim's sister, Lord, as she is about to cross over into everlasting life, Lord. I just pray for her, Father, that she might, Father, know your comfort. And Father, I believe that you're one to speak to us, Lord. Just speak to her heart, Lord, that she may know you and your presence, Lord. And Father, we don't understand everything about death. We just know that you love us and that you provided a way for us to defeat death, Lord. And I just pray that for her. And I pray for Jim and the rest of the family. Just comfort them all, Lord. May you just love them. Thank you that we've been able to be together. Thank you that we've still got some time together. Father, may you be honored. Christ's name we pray. Amen.